I want you to see a phrase. I want you to get familiar with it this morning. The one who supplies the power gets the glory. Just say that really quickly with me. The one who supplies the power gets the glory. Um, that is where we are headed this morning in our prayer journey. Um, and it's very interesting. And, and if you're like, what do you mean by the one who supplies the power gets the glory? I have a very good illustration. Um, a couple months ago, I was coming home from Mount Mitchell, uh, driving on the Blue Ridge. And as I'm driving, as I'm driving home, I stop, I see on the side of the road, I see four college kids. You can obviously tell they're college kids from Atlanta. I saw their license plate. Pulled over on the side of the road. There was a tire jack and the car was up on the jack and the, the spare tire was sitting next to the car lifted up. And so I'm thinking, well, there's obviously a problem. They've got this far, but they can't get that spare tire on. And so I drive by and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll go back and help out. So I stop, turn around, go back to the guys. And as they're sitting there, um, I get out and get my little tire iron out. And it's, a, it's a good, you know, one of those big ones, the big good ones that don't ever use the one that comes with your car because it's no good anyways, um, but just get you one of them big four, you know, plus sign tire irons, and I got it out, and I'm walking over there, and I'm like, hey, you guys need some help, and they're like, yeah, man, we just, we've called AAA, it's going to take them two hours to find us up here, and we've, we've had people stop, and we can't get this last lug nut off of this tire. It's like we can get them all up, but just not this one. We have had people jump up and down on our tire iron and try and get it to come off, and they can't get it to come off. So we just are stuck. And I was like, well, can I have a try? I mean, I'm seriously thinking, oh man, I really need to try. And so they're like, dude, we just want you to know that this is going to be tough. It's hard. I mean, do you, don't hurt yourself because it's really going to be hard because we've had people standing on it and they can't even get it off. And in my mind, I'm going, please, you know? So I get down with the tire iron, I put it on the car, and I'm like, God of strength, give me the strength of 10 men at this moment, right now. And I do one of these, you know, grip my teeth, and I pull as hard as I can, and it comes off. All right? Now, seriously, if there was any moment in my life that I wish that I could just rip my shirt open <laughs> to reveal Superman underneath... Like, I really would have done it at that moment. But no, I tell you, the response was the best. I like, I'm like, Ugh! yeah. And their, their, their faces were, whoa, dude, thank you so much. And I was like, well, do you need me to lift the car off the jack or anything else while I'm here? And so as I'm, as I'm kind of walking away, I'm going, yes, yes. And those guys, I'm like, their jaws are still dropped. I'm not even going to look back, you know? And so, but I honestly, that was a moment in my life where I clearly saw the one who supplies the power gets the glory. I mean, they were glorifying me. I mean, they really were. They were like, whoa, dude, this guy, I'm gonna, they're going to tell their friends. I know they are. When they get back to Atlanta, they'll be like, there's this guy. We think he's a superhero. We're not sure. Um, but he was able to get our tire and everything ready for us. And, and, and that really makes me think about how as humans we naturally have that tendency to glorify things that are powerful. And if you don't believe me, um, there's a school just up the road from us, App State. When they knocked Michigan out of the top 25, I mean, there were pictures upon pictures that I could have used this morning of guys glorifying App State. They provided the power, they got the glory. When we go to a movie and we see a powerful performance, we're like, oh man, they were so good. They were awesome. And we elevate them. I was here for a concert on Friday night, man, and these guys were just playing music. They're just playing their guitars, and there were people right in the front going, oh, I just want to touch you. I don't know what you do. I don't know who you are, but I just want to touch you because you're playing a guitar. You're awesome. I mean, that's seriously what was going on. And we have a natural tendency as human beings to elevate things that we see power coming from. 
Now, you're probably going, okay, the one who supplies the power gets the glory. What does that have to do with me? And many of you might be going, some light bulbs are coming on. And when it comes to prayer, it has absolutely everything to do with you and I. This journey this morning, I'd really like to paint a picture for you, and I just want to use Scripture to paint that picture because I think there's two things we have to understand that Scripture paints this picture with, and that is God's purpose and our purpose. God's purpose is for His glory, and this is not something that I'm making up. This is something that is in Scripture, and so if you want to read along on the screen, I'm just going to read several to you this morning that declare God's purposes. Isaiah 48, 9 says, Yet for my own sake and for the honor of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. Isaiah 43 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Exodus 9 says, But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. Psalm 79, Help us, O God of our salvation. Help us for the glory of your name. Save us and forgive our sins for the honor of your name. In 1 Samuel 12, The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. God's purpose. And I could have read tons more verses on God being about his glory. God's purpose is to bring himself glory. That's what he does. That's who he is. That is the way he works. Everything that he thought, that he put together, that he has done, that he is doing, and that he will do, will bring him glory. Even in the tough times, even when, even when Moses, I'm sure Moses wondered, how in the world are you going to bring glory to yourself? Our backs are to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is in our face. How is that going to bring you glory? And in Exodus 14, this is the Lord's response. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Now, for some of you in this room, this may be tough to handle. And for me, as I began to find these truths connected through Scripture, it began to make me think, man, God is really stuck on himself. It really did. I really began to go, man, God is about God. <laughs> Seriously. And in that, I had to wrestle with, because I know you and I both know very stuck-on-themselves people, and you and I both know we don't like being around them. If you know somebody who is always talking about themselves, it's not fun to be around them. But here's the deal. When it comes to God, what I have done is I have thrown human characteristics on God. And I can't do that. You have to see him for who he is in scripture. And when God is about himself more than anything else on the planet, when he is about lifting his name up more than anything else in the world, we can have full confidence in who he says he is. Because think of it this way. This is just logic for me. If God chose to bring glory to anything else other than himself, he would not be God. If God chose to glorify something else other than himself, he would not be God. If God is the creator of the universe and he holds all things and in, thing, in him all things exist and they find their meaning and everything else, 
he's not going to bring glory to anything but himself. Because if he was, we wouldn't be worshiping God. We should worship the thing that God worships. But because we know God worships no one and he's jealous for his name, he is who he says he is. And I know that's tough sometimes because we like to think, well, like, God does everything for me. And you know, here's the deal. The fact that God is all about himself, we benefit from that. And I know some of you probably like, well, I don't necessarily understand that. And believe me, I'm going to admit to you this morning that prayer is a mystery. Prayer has been a mystery to me as a, on, a, on this journey. Not saying I don't do it, but there are times that I just don't get the mystery of prayer. How when we glorify Him through prayer, He takes care of us. Because He is about His name and what Jesus did, we find our purpose. So God's purpose is to glorify Himself, man's purpose. I want you to follow with this in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Romans 6 says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Romans 11, For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. 1 Corinthians 10, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. Philippians 1, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Man's purpose is the same as God's. We were created to bring Him glory. He created us to point people to Him. His purpose, bring His name glory. Our purpose, bring his name glory. And that's, that, to me, that's a huge answer for me going, what do I do in this life? How do, what am I here for? Why do I exist? And in God's purpose and in my purpose, they're the same. He created me to bring him glory. Now, I know as Christians, our desire as a Christ follower is to be like Jesus. Is to allow Jesus to live in us, for us to die, for him to live. And Jesus' desire in John 17 is made clear. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. John 12 says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour, but this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. And in John 14, you can ask for anything in my name, Jesus' name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it.
As I've, as I've seen how the scripture clearly paints that God is about lifting his name above everything else and that my purpose is to do the exact same, it has transformed my prayer life. It has transformed how I pray, how I spend that time saying, God, I want to hear you and I want, I want you to hear the requests that I'm bringing to you. It has transformed my prayer life. And, and trust me, I, have not, I am not a prayer expert. I would love to say that I know every secret there is in the Bible to prayer. I know I've read every book on prayer, but... I haven't. But I do know that there is something that goes on in the relationship that I have with the Father that when we pray, we glorify Him. We glorify God when we admit that we are weak. And that's what prayer really does. Prayer admits that we do not have the answers. Prayer admits that we don't have all of it together. Prayer admits that we can't provide for ourselves. Several ways that we glorify God through our prayer life it's an open admission that without Christ, we, can't, we can do nothing. Saying without Jesus, we wouldn't even have a right to come to God. Without Jesus, he would not hear our prayers. And it's an open admission saying, I can't do anything without Jesus. Prayer is turning away from ourselves to God in confidence that he will provide the help we need. It's saying, you know what, God, everything in me wants to do what I want to do right now, but I'm going to fight it and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, God, you have to do what you've got to do. Prayer humbles us as needy. <laughs> Prayer humbles us as needy, and we do not like to be in that position. Prayer humbles us as needy, but it also lifts God up as the all-sufficient God, the one who meets all needs. Prayer shows that the power is from the Lord. So the one who supplies the power gets the glory. That is the heart cry of a Christ follower, is that the one who supplies the power gets the glory. And you know what we can do? We can as a church or as a human being, we can lift up ourselves. We really can. And we can do things with all our might. And you know what? We'll get our size results. When you and I choose to use our own strength and our own power, our own knowledge, people are going to glorify us. But you know we're going to get our size results? And those aren't the results that I want. I want results that only the Father, the creator of the universe, can bring. And I want the world to know that there's no other way that whatever happened could happen except for Him. I want the world to be faced with the realization that God is who He says He is. Because He moves in such a miraculous way that there's no denying it. Do you know, over and over in the Old Testament, the Lord spoke to the Israelites. He said, you know what, I'm going to do something crazy right now so that the nations are going to see that I am God. I am who I say I am. That's the kind of things I want to see happen in Asheville. I want the surrounding areas to see that God is who he says he is. Not because Highland did anything, but because as a people we said, we're needy. We have nothing. But God, you have everything. That's where I want to stand. And uh, but in this time of talking about prayer, I've really struggled with it. Because I recognize now more and more as I've allowed scripture to begin to transform and change and transition and, and twist and deal with me in, in, in the way that God does, I've realized that I like to use prayer as more of a, an intercom to God. God, I could use some more iced tea. God, my comfort level is dropping. Could you do something about that? 
And I've really gone, God, am I missing the gift of prayer? I think I am. Because I'm putting you in a box and assuming that all you are is a genie. And whenever I want you to come out, I'll just rub the lamp three times. God, I got this wish list that I wish you'd take care of. And I feel like I have missed so much time of saying, God, please glorify your name because this is an impossible situation that only you can receive the glory for. And I don't want to miss that anymore. I truly want to be able to say, the one who supplies the power gets the glory. God, you supplied the power. I did nothing. I was obedient and just asked you to do what you do, and you did it, and you're going to get the glory. Not me, not a church, not a people but you. And I believe that's what he's calling you and I to be a part of. I think for you and I, the challenge is, is okay, what is, what is prayer that glorifies God look like? What do we, I mean, what does that do? How do we do it? What do we do? You can learn a lot about prayer by looking in the New Testament and seeing what the first believers prayed for. I mean, there are tons, there are thousands of books on prayer out there. There really are. It's from telling you how to pray, the secrets to prayer, unlocking this, unlocking that, I don't know. But in the New Testament, you catch a great glimpse of the heart of the believers that were the first to say, I'm a Christ follower. They called on God to exalt his name in the world. They called on God to extend his kingdom. They called on God that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. They called on God for the fullness of his Holy Spirit. They called on God to vindicate his people in their cause. They called on God to save unbelievers. They called on God for boldness. They called on God for signs and wonders. They called on him for healing. They called on him for healing of unbelievers. They called on God for the casting out of demons. They called out on God for miraculous deliverances. They called out on God for the raising of the dead. They called on God to supply them with their needs. They called on him for wisdom, to establish leadership. They called on God to send out reinforcements they called on God for the success of their missionaries. They called on Him for unity. They called on Him for encouragement. They called on God for a mind of discernment. They called on God for a knowledge of His will. When was the last time you prayed for that? They called on God to know Him better. When was the last time we asked Him for that? They called on Him. To, they called on God for power to comprehend the love of Christ. When was the last time you asked God to give you an understanding of how deeply he loves you. I tell you what, when you do that, you begin to walk around and man, it's at the slightest drop of a hat, worship can bust out and you're crying. I'm telling you, I do not cry at a lot of things. But there have been, over the past couple of months, several times I have walked into this place and not been able to stop. But it's just because I've said, God, please give me a deeper understanding of how much Jesus loves me. That was a prayer of the New Testament church. They called on God for a deeper sense of assured hope. Are you struggling with your assurance? They called on him to ask for a deeper sense of assurance. They called on God for strength and endurance. They called on God for a deeper sense of his power within them. They called on God for greater faith. They called on him that they might not fall into temptation. They called on God that they would do good works. They called on God for the forgiveness of their sins. They called on God to protect them from the evil one. What does all this mean? It means that the New Testament church, their heart was that God would be made supreme in everything. In every area of their life, in everything that they did. But it was through their prayers that you really get to see their heart. 
that you get to see this New Testament church was serious about God getting the glory because he's going to supply the power. That gets me excited. To see that my feeble attempts at this, at this life, I don't have to be the one that provides the power because I'm going to get Jason's size results. And Jason's size results are not very big. But when God supplies the power, there is no ending to what he can do. So what should I pray? Because honestly, as I read through these scriptures, it sounds like my responsibility in prayer is to seek him. It sounds like what the Lord is saying through scripture is that I need to seek him in everything that I do. And Sue read the verse that I really feel is the heart of what the New Testament believers lived out. But I want to start in Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 24, because I believe it sets up 633 so awesomely. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is speaking here and he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So it sounds to me like what the Lord is saying is, I know what you need before you need it. I'm not saying do not bring your needs to him because I do all the time. But what I am saying is maybe our prayer lives could use a little focus adjustment. Maybe our prayer lives could go, God, I see my circumstances, I do. And you know I'm worried about them. But God, your glory is worth so much. It's worth so much more. And I want to spend more time, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom, not my will. Your power, not my power. Praying as the New Testament church did and saying, we trust you in everything. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote, and I think it kind of encapsulates everything that, that we've just tried to talk about this morning. He says this, God and the praying man take shares. First, here is your share. Call upon me in your day of trouble. Secondly, here is God's share. I will deliver you. So you have us, I'm in trouble. You have God, I will deliver you. Again, you take a share. You are delivered. And again, it is the Lord's turn. You will glorify me. Here is the compact, a covenant that God enters into with you who pray to him and whom he helps. God says, you shall have deliverance, but I must get the glory. This is a delightful partnership. We obtain that which we so greatly need, and all that God gets is the glory which is due his name. 
Prayer puts God in the place of all sufficient benefactor, the one who gives the gifts, and puts us in the place as the needy beneficiaries. So when the mission of the church moves forward by prayer, and that's actually scripturally how it moves forward, the supremacy of God is easily understood and recognized. Easily understood and recognized. People can easily understand and recognize the activity of God when he does something so big that no man can claim it. That blows me away. And the fact that he'll get the glory for it. I know this story that, that, that I'm going to share is, fails in comparison, honestly. Well, no, it doesn't. I think it's awesome. I still tell the story. When I was living in Wichita, I was uh, working at a coffee shop so I could travel in with this ministry and uh, be a part of what God was doing and just kind of answering the call that he put on my life. Financially, it was tough. It was always hard. I actually got in a low-income bracket so I could get an apartment for 300 bucks. And I can remember going, this is awesome, 300 bucks. That should be no sweat to come up with. Well, I was $112 short, and I remember the amount. $112 short a week before my rent was due. And I can remember taking it to the Lord. I can remember going, God, I just want you to get the glory. And uh, you know I need a little help here. <laughs> I'm short. I don't know what else to do. And the craziest thing, I'm down at my mailbox in the apartment complex. I open the mailbox, and there's a card in there from my uncle. And it's about April or so. And the card, I open it up, and there's a check in it. And I'm reading the card. And the card says, hey, Jason, it's your Uncle Mike. You know, we missed Christmas. We missed your birthday last year. So we charged ourselves interest and $112. <laughs> I tell you what, the moment I was standing at that mailbox, I was like, ha! And there was somebody looking, standing right there. I'm like, yeah! Oh! And I can remember being in the elevator going up, just going, I can't believe this, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. I'm walking down the hall to my apartment. I'm like, oh man. I mean, I think I did a couple kick, kick, you know, jumping your kick thing. And I'm like, what in the world? God, you are awesome. You know, he's still receiving glory for that story. That was seven years ago. I'm still telling the story and I'm going to keep telling the story and he's going to keep getting the glory. That's how it works. But so often we forget when God does something big and we put our eyes on our circumstances and we forget about all the awesome things that he's done and we haven't told our children the stories. We haven't passed it on to the next generation because we're so consumed with our right now and we've forgotten that God is who he says he is. He's all sufficient. He's all powerful. And he's going to get the glory. You know, they say you can tell a lot about a person by their prayers and you can tell a lot about a person's view of God by their prayers. I just want to say that this morning, I want to make sure and I want my heart and I want when I'm long dead and gone, when people go through my journals, when people look through my, 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 the writings and the prayers, I seriously want them to go, this guy was absolutely nuts. I seriously want them to go, how could he pray for a community center when they don't have the money? How could he pray for an entire city to come to know Jesus? That's impossible. How could he pray for his children's children to know Jesus? And they're not even born yet. I want people to go, this guy was nuts. His view of God was too big. 
They say the most important thing about a human being is their view of God. Do you view him as a genie? You kind of rub the lamp every once in a while. Got this need. I'm in this situation. Or do you view, do you view him as the God of the Bible? As the one who says, I am God. I provide you with what you need and you will glorify me. Would you begin to pray impossible prayers that only he can answer? You've heard the statistic 75 to 88 percent of those teenagers who say they were raised in a Christian home, raised in the church, by the end of their freshman year in college walk away from the faith completely never to return. 75 to 88 percent Something is wrong. Now let's just put some feet to this really quickly and let's go with the low end of 75%. Let's just say that there's 4 million Christian teenagers this generation. 75% walk away, leaves you with a million. 75% of that, 250,000. 75% of that, 62,000. 75% of that, 15,625. So four generations it's almost as if Christian teenagers don't exist anymore. Let me put it this way. So that if, with that statistic, the average family in America, you'll see them, has 1.9 kids. That's why he has half a head. Not a total two. The average family in America has 1.9 kids. So with that statistic of the low end, 75%, that means it takes two Christian families to get one Christian to the next generation. So 75% doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a huge deal. That is why the Highland Student Ministry is heavily involving parents and teenagers. And I'm not here to slam student ministry the way it's been done the last 40 years. I'm not. Because some of you in this room, you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a student ministry. But there is something desperately wrong with what's going on if 75%, that's a failure rate of 75% to 88%. There's something desperately wrong with that. And so to have painted the doom and gloom picture, sorry, picture, I want to encourage you with the hope. The Highland Student Ministry vision is simply that, it's a vision. It may not be going on right now, but we see it happening at some point. That's why it's a vision. And it's found in Psalm 78. Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in on the sweet old truths, stories we heard from our fathers, counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping it to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he's done. He planted a witness in Jacob, said his word firmly in Israel, then commanded our parents to teach it to their children so the next generation would know and all the generations to come. Know the truth and tell the stories so their children can trust God, never forgetting the works of God, but keeping his commandments to the letter. Heaven forbid they should be like their parents bullheaded and bad, a fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. The vision of the Highland Student Ministry is that you parents would be able to tell the stories of God's greatness to your kids. 
That's the vision. And it may not be going on. You may be a parent in here going, well, I don't know if I've done that well. Well, we're not here to say you've done a bad job. We're here to say this is where you can be. We're here to say we want to come alongside you and help you disciple your kid. Because honestly, at the church that I was last at, it was the come drop off your kid and take him home mentality. And I understand that. There are times when teens just need to be with teens and that will be provided too. But I felt like in, in, where I was at that I failed in helping parents disciple their kids. I feel like I failed at helping them. I feel like I almost hurt it more because I made them depend on me. And that can't be. Nowhere in scripture is that found. So why is it that we want parents involved? Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Psalm 145 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Because we see in Scripture commanded over and over that we want to be a part of helping parents disciple their kids. And sharing the goodness, his majesty, and his power with the next generation. Why again? Judges 2. After that generation died, another grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. We cannot afford to lose another generation. A 75% statistic, if it stays that, at that point, is very disturbing. But if things don't change it'll reach 88%. What if it reaches 90%? I think of my son and I think, well, we have to have 10 kids if it reaches 90% just to get one to the next generation if things stay the same. My heart this morning is to communicate to you, to invite you to be a part of this journey as a parent and as a teenager. Teenager, I know you're thinking, man, I don't want my parents involved. Trust me. I can remember driving down the road and my dad being like, Jason, how's, what's the Lord doing in your life? I was 16. I didn't care. I was like, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, that's cool. But as I look back, my dad was just trying to be obedient to Scripture. And teenager, you may have a parent in here that's never had a spiritual conversation with you in your life, but maybe they were like, I think I've failed or I've, I've messed up. And it's not the case. Parents, you are discipling your kids. We just want to be a part of helping you do that. So with the gels on Tuesday and Thursday night, that's why we invite parents and students. Trust me, it is a little awkward sometimes. All right? I'll be the first to admit it. Sometimes you've got kids there that are younger. And they yell and they scream out in inappropriate times. That's, yeah, you get that. But I try to imagine the worship gatherings in the Old Testament and the New Testament with the families all there. I guarantee you they didn't have a children's section. I guarantee you they didn't say, all right, our children stay over here so that the pastor can focus. But they were all together. And there's something about that, that through scripture, there's power with that. And as a parent, we want to come alongside and help you be able to disciple your child. Parents, if you're in this room and you're like, you're letting Satan bite you right now and say, don't even start. You haven't been doing it. Don't worry about it. Just let it go. That is a lie. 
You have the opportunity to begin the process now. You have been, whether or not you know it. And we just want to be able to come alongside and help and encourage you in that process. Now, teenagers, we will do retreats. We will go skiing. We will do things that are just for us. Well, I'm not even a teenager. Yes, I am. I'll be a teenager. Whatever. I don't even know what I'm saying. But the point is, we know the value of students. And we know the value that Satan sees in them too. We know that he wants to kill, steal, and destroy them. We know that there are school campuses full of kids who have parents that could care less about the things of God. And so as your teenagers grow to be disciples, they are sent to the mission field. That's what happens. Parents, I would encourage and challenge you to see your child as a missionary on that campus. Not just ask them, hey, did you get all your homework done? I mean, I know that's important. But to see them as a missionary, because that's what happens when a heart is fully responsive and given over to Jesus. You just are where you are. And you live out to glorify his name. That is the, that's the vision. Psalm 78. I wish I had this formula that I could come up with and show you how it's going to happen. But I just see how the scriptures clearly paint the picture that we as the church come alongside, never replace you as the disciple of your child. In essence, really, the, the family was the early church. I mean, there were supplemented, you know, large gatherings at the temple and other places, but it never replaced what went on in the homes. And so as the, as the worship team's coming this morning, this is a big deal to me, and I know it's a big deal to the staff of this church, that this generation seems impossible. It seems impossible to reach them. It seems impossible that we serve a God who really does love the word impossible because he breaks right through it. And so as the, the worship team comes, this is going to be a time of prayer and of communion. You will see people standing around. You will see those that have the, the bread and the juice. And we would ask that you would prepare your hearts this morning to take that communion. Don't treat it lightly because it's in another spot. But to search your heart and say, man, God, thank you for the forgiveness Thank you that I can remember that you forgave me on the cross. And as they come and stand and you are able to take it and you're prepared your heart, we don't want to make them stand for the entire worship time. And I'm not saying hurry through what you and God need to deal with. But as they come and stand and prepare to, to share with you in the Lord's meal and the Lord's supper and remembrance, there's been a lot that's been said this morning, but primarily the one who supplies the power gets the glory. And in this generation, it's an emergency. And with the New Testament church, we want to join with them in saying, God, we want to lift your name supreme in everything. So as your heart sings, and as your mouth sings, and then as you're on your knees, or your hands are lifted high, and as you're praying, this morning, would you join with the New Testament church? Would we join together with saints that have gone before us in seeking God's supremacy in everything? Seeking Him as Lord, seeking that we would know Him better, seeking, asking Him for a greater knowledge of His love for us. I dare you to pray that prayer, because He'll give it to you. Seeking Him for the needs that there are, seeking Him for, for Him to save unbelievers, to heal people, for signs, for wonders, miracles, for provision, but to seek Him to be glorified. And to say, God, would you please glorify your name? Let's pray. 
God, this morning as we talked about glorifying your name and lifting you up, it's, it's so much it seems to say, but Lord, it really goes back to one thing, is that we want you to receive the glory because you're going to provide the power. And Father, in this church, would we be able to join with the saints of old that have gone before us and ask you to be made supreme in everything? Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in battle mode, that we would not check out that we would not use prayer as just an intercom for our comfort levels, but that we would see it as marching orders from you. You supply the power. You get the glory. In your name we pray.